Welcome to the Faith Broadcast. I'm Carrick Butler, the pastor of Faith Christian Center. Thanks for tuning in today. We believe today's message is going to help you live this lifestyle of faith. It's going to empower you to live a life that makes Jesus famous wherever you go. Open up your heart. We know God has something special just for you. And we believe that as you listen to today's message, something good is going to happen to you. So listen up. I'll talk to you today at the end of our broadcast. We begin our new series, The Most Dangerous and Damning Thing in the World. Hebrews chapter 3. Verse 7. Wherefore, as the Holy Ghost says, today, if you will hear his voice, harden not your hearts as in the provocation in the day of temptation in the wilderness. When your fathers tempted me, proved me, and saw my works 40 years. Wherefore, I was grieved with that generation and said, they do always err in their hearts. And they have not known my ways. So I swear in my wrath, they shall not enter into my rest. Take heed, brethren, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief and departing from the living God. But exhort one another daily while it is called today, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. Now, I submit to you this. The most dangerous and damning thing in the whole world is a hard heart. The most dangerous and damning thing in the whole world is a hard heart. And what's even more terrifying for some is they can have a hardened heart or a hard heart and not know it. You might say, well, pastor, I don't know how that's that dangerous or that damning. How is it the most dangerous and damning thing in the whole world? Stick with me through this message and I'll show you the dangers of it and how to overcome it. Notice what it said here. Today, if you will hear his voice, harden not your hearts. As in the provocation, the day of temptation in the wilderness. And we'll get to that in a moment. When your fathers tempted me and proved me and saw my works 40 years. Wherefore, I was grieved with that generation and said they do always err in their heart. Notice the issue here. A hardened heart, a heart that's growing harder, erring or having errors in your heart. Verse 12, take heed, brethren, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief. So notice once again, it's talking about the heart. And you know, we talk about evil, and we use evil sometimes to describe extremely bad things. But notice what God used to describe it, a heart of unbelief. And we'll get into the series. You know, I have this diagram on my whiteboard at home, and I was going through the different things the Bible uses to describe conditions of the heart. And we see some here that are hardened errors or erring an evil heart of unbelief and notice what it said in verse 13 the hearts were hardened through the deceitfulness of sin what hardened their hearts here the deceitfulness of sin and we're going to look into that when we look at more first corinthians 10 verse 11 but before we go there i want to read you some verses that we'll dive into more in this series as i said today i'm just laying the foundation Jeremiah 17, verse 5. Thus saith the Lord, Cursed be the man that trusts in man and makes flesh his arm, whose heart departs from the Lord. So we see a lifestyle that brings the curse, which is the empowerment to fail. It is those who trust in man's ability and leans or makes flesh his arm, 
So it leans on what his flesh can do, what he can do by himself or trusting in man. Notice his heart departs from the Lord, which means at one point his heart was with the Lord. But trusting in man and leaning on the flesh can cause your heart to depart from the Lord. Notice what also says about this man. For he shall be like the heath in the desert and shall not see when good cometh. It doesn't say good won't come. It doesn't say he'll miss it. See, although there's a lot of bad things that have happened in 2020, there's a lot of good things that are happening. But you need to make sure your heart is right so you can see it and take hold of it and take advantage of it. But shall inhabit the parched places in the wilderness in a salt land and not inhabited. Blessed is the man that trusts in the Lord. Here's a lifestyle that's blessed. Those who trust in God or have faith in God, whose hope the Lord is, whose expectation the Lord is. For he shall be like a tree planted by the waters that spreads out her roots by the river and shall not see when heat comes. It doesn't say heat won't come. That's not what he's looking at. But her leaves shall be green and shall not be careful in the year of drought. Neither shall cease from yielding fruit. So even when it's a drought, even when other people are cutting back, even when it looks like there's no way I can be fruitful or produce in this year, this person produces. We'll get more into this person later in the series. Notice what's in verse 9. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? I, the Lord, search the heart. I tried the reins, even to give every man according to his ways and according to the fruit of his doings. Notice the issue of this passage once again. It's the heart. Just like Hebrews 3, the heart is the issue. And under the old covenant, notice what this prophet is saying. The heart, the unredeemed heart, the unrenewed heart, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? But God says, I know it. I search the heart. I try the reins to give every man according to his ways and according to the fruit of his doings. Go with me to Zechariah chapter 7. We can get back to Hebrews 3 and what it, how 1 Corinthians 10 connects to that in a moment. The most dangerous and damning thing in the world is a hard heart. Zechariah chapter 7. And what's very dangerous is living in a way and you think your heart's not hard, and it is. Because then you'll fall into many, many situations that you should never walked into. Zechariah chapter 7, verse 7. Should you not hear the words which the Lord has cried by the former prophets when Jerusalem was inhabited in prosperity, and the cities thereof round about her, when men inhabited the south and the plain? And the word of the Lord came into Zechariah, saying, Thus speaks the, the Lord of hosts, saying, Execute true judgment, and show mercy and compassions every man to his brother, and oppress not the widow, nor the fatherless, the stranger, nor the poor, and let none of you imagine evil against his brother in your heart. But they refused to hearken. This is the message God sent them. But they refused to listen, and pulled away their shoulder, and stopped their ears that they should not hear. So God sent a message, they turned away, and they covered their ears. Yea, they made their hearts as an adamant stone. 
lest they should hear the law and the words which the Lord of hosts has sent in his spirit by the former prophets. Therefore came a great wrath from the Lord of hosts. So notice what happened. Why did judgment and wrath fall? They turned. They said, we don't want to hear that. They hardened their hearts. So even though the law, and we're new covenant believers, and we're not under the law, the law was so anointed that if they listened to it and turned, judgment would not have happened. But it was not just the law. The Holy Spirit moved through the prophets and spoke through the prophets, but they didn't want to hear the Holy Ghost nor the prophets. They hardened their hearts. Notice the heart is the issue once again, and they hardened their own hearts. That's why it says Hebrews 3, today, if you will hear his voice, harden not your heart. Now go to 1 Corinthians chapter 10. The most dangerous and damning thing in the world is a hard heart. The most dangerous and damning thing in the world is a hard heart. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 11. Now all these things happen unto them for examples or examples, and they are written for our admonition, for our learning, for our correction, upon whom the ends of the world are come. So what is it saying here? What things, what people, the people we read about in Hebrews chapter 3, and we'll look more in the series, how we saw things happen to them in the book of Numbers and in Exodus. These same people said these things happen, and they are our examples. These things happen so we can learn and not experience what they experienced and not do what they did. But to get a full context of what's going on, back up to chapter 9, and we'll look at verse 24. It says, Know you not they which run in a race, run all, but one receives the prize? So run that you may obtain. So don't just run for the fun of it. Run to win. And every man that strives for the mastery is temperate in all things. Every athlete who's competing to win controls his body. Now they do it to receive a corruptible crown, but we are incorruptible. So in that time, when the Romans or the Greeks or whoever would compete, if they would win, they would receive this leafy crown. Now that crown can't last forever. You know, those leaves, they're fresh for a little while, but eventually they wither away and you just have a remnant of the crown. So that crown was corruptible and would only last for a little while. But we're doing things to receive an incorruptible crown. When you study the scripture, you see in the New Testament, there are five different crowns a believer can receive. There are five different crowns a believer can receive. So Paul says we are fighting, we are running, we are conditioning ourselves, we keep our body under so that we can win the race and receive the crown. I therefore so run, not as uncertainly, so fight I. Now I don't want to be there. I'm not just someone shadow boxing. That's not what I'm doing. But I keep under my body and bring it into subjection. I, the spirit, this, the spirit in me, me, the real me, I keep this body under. Notice if Paul says I have to keep my body in check, you know you need to keep your body in check. God used the apostle Paul to worry almost two-thirds of the New Testament. And he is telling you, the saved man, full of the Holy Ghost, highly anointed, apostle of God, says I have to keep my body in check. Which means if you don't keep your body in check, you will have trouble. But I keep under my body and bring it into subjection, lest that by any means, when I have preached to others, 
I myself should be a castaway. So Paul is saying that if I don't keep my body under, if I don't keep my body in check, that although I've done these great things for the kingdom of God, although I've done these great things in preaching to others, if I don't keep my body in check, it will lead me to a place where I am a castaway. Now, when we think of castaway, you might think of the movie and think about, you know, the volleyball, Wilson. We might think about all those different things, but that's not what this word means. When he studied out in the Greek, this word means trash. Trash that's thrown away. It means counterfeit. It was used to describe coins. Because even then, like there are now, there are people who are counterfeit. And they're putting counterfeit money into circulation. And so back then, they didn't have the ways we have now to check if a coin was real or not because money was being printed every day and it wasn't a press that would do the exact same print every single time. It was humans who did it. So the counterfeiters would try to mimic a real coin. But instead of using the precious metal that was used to make the coin, they would find another type of metal and cover it with a metal that resembled the precious metal. And then they would carve it and prepare it. Now the thing is, to the naked eye, they look the same. To the untrained eye, they look the same. But when you held them in your hand, the real was weightier or heavier than the fake. The real was weightier or heavier than the fake. And then to really try it, they would take a hammer and hit it. They would put some pressure on it. And if the wrapping tore off, you knew it was the counterfeit. And so what would happen to the counterfeit coins when they were taken to the person who was to deciding if it's real or not? If it was counterfeit and it broke or chipped or whatever, they would take it and throw it into the pile or throw it into the trash. This is the language Paul is using. I don't want to be thrown out into the trash because I'm fake, because I was counterfeit, because I did not keep my body under. There's another word used to describe it. And I want you to keep your mind, this word in your mind, because we'll come back to it in a few minutes. Reprobate. That word is also translated and defined, the same Greek word for the word reprobate. So we'll come back to it, the word reprobate. Chapter 10, verse 1. Moreover, brethren, I would not that you should be ignorant how that all of our fathers were under the cloud and all passed through the sea and were all baptized unto Moses in the cloud and in the sea. And did all eat the same spiritual meat, and did all drink the same spiritual drink, for they drank of that spiritual rock that followed them, and that rock was Christ. So he's making comparisons to those in the Old Covenant, how they were under the cloud, how they passed through the sea. They were baptized, if you will, as he says in other places. And now he's comparing it to us who live today in the New Covenant. Verse 5, but with many of them, God was not well pleased, for they were overthrown in the wilderness. Now, these things were our examples to the intent that we should not lust after evil things as they also lusted. Neither be ye idolaters as some of them, as it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. Neither let us commit fornication as some of them committed and fell in one day 23,000. Now we'll get into all these things later. I'm just laying the foundation for today. 
Now, all these things happen unto them for examples, and they are written for admonition upon whom the ends of the world are come. Wherefore, because all these things we've been talking about since chapter 9, let him that thinks he stands take heed or pay attention unless he falls. You never get so good in your Christian walk that you can't fall. See, a lot of people say, well, I'm good. I can never fall. They're the ones in the most danger of falling. That's why Paul says, pay attention. Look at this. Just because you may think you're standing, you might be falling. There has no temptation taken you but such as common to man. But God is faithful. That is good news. If you're on someone on social media, you can say, but God is faithful. Go ahead and type that in right now before we go forward. But God is faithful. Despite all these things we're going to talk about today, but God is faithful. Despite what's going on in 2020, but God is faithful. Despite the reports you may have heard this week, but God is faithful. Despite what you saw on the news this week, God is faithful. But God is faithful. He will not allow you to be tempted about what you are able. But will with the temptation also make a way for you to escape that you may be able to bear it. So notice something about the scripture. Nothing can come into your life that you can't handle. Nothing can come into your life that you cannot handle. Satan is not allowed to do anything that is not common to man. So he can't take something out of the realm of humanity, out of the realm somewhere else from the universe that no person in human history has ever experienced. He's not allowed to do that. Although he is an enemy, God has limited him. And this short time that he has this time of activity, because Adam gave him the lease of the earth, he is still limited. So that's to let you know and give you some encouragement today that if it shows up in your life, you can beat it. If it shows up in your life, you can win. Even if the pressure is great and it's a very tempting temptation. See, it's not a sin to be tempted. It's not a sin to be tempted. We are all tempted. Even Jesus, the perfect one, the Christ, the Messiah, was tempted. But he didn't give in to the temptation. Every temptation, when it comes, God provides for you a way of escape so that you can slip out from under it and bear and win. So if you're being tempted right now, there's something going on in your life, don't focus on the temptation. Focus on the way of escape because God is faithful. So remember, we talked about here, we will look at it in more detail. But chapter 10, verse 6 through 10 kind of sums up what we saw in Hebrews 3. How through the deceitfulness of sin, their hearts were darkened. Through the deceitfulness of sin. These things caused their hearts to be hardened. Now go with me to Romans chapter 1. Remember I told you to remember that word reprobate? Here's why it's important to where we're going today. If you're just tuning in, we're talking about the most dangerous and damning thing in the whole world. A hard heart. Romans chapter 1, verse 18. Well, we'll back up a few verses because a lot of us know 
Verse 16, for I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek, for therein is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith. As it is written, the just shall live by faith. When we shout and we celebrate how the word of God, the gospel of God is the power of God for our salvation, our healing, our preservation, our deliverance. And so the just shall live by faith. We're the just. We live by faith. But there's more to this passage, a lot more. Verse 18, for the wrath of God, yo, is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who hold the truth in unrighteousness. Now, we'll break this whole passage down more in the future. Because that which may be known of God is manifest in them, for God has showed it unto them. So notice the people he's talking about. God has showed them the truth, some of the truth, parts of the truth. God showed them the truth, but they took the truth and held it in unrighteousness. For the invisible things of him from the creation of the world are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. They don't have an excuse. Because that when they knew God, so these aren't people who never knew God. These are people who knew God. They glorified him not as God. So they knew of God, they knew the truth, but they didn't give God glory like he's God. They weren't thankful, but they became vain in their imaginations, and their foolish heart was darkened. So remember, they held the truth in unrighteousness. Instead of glorifying God, they were vain in their own imagination. They made their heart foolish. And as they kept doing these things, their foolish heart was darkened. But it's not over. Professing themselves to be wise. So they have a foolish, darkened heart now, but now they say we are the wise ones. They became fools. So notice they weren't fools yet. They had done things that caused their heart to become foolish. And then they darkened their heart. And they say, you know, we're the wise one. They're rejecting the truth of God. So it's not like they've never met God, never heard of God, never heard his truth. When it came to them, they rejected the truth and held the truth in unrighteousness. They didn't glorify God. They turned from the truth, held it unrighteousness, caused their heart to become foolish, darkened their heart, and then they became as fools themselves. Notice what they did. And changed the glory of the uncorruptible God into an image made to incorruptible man and to birds and a four-footed beast and creeping things. We'll get into that more. They made different idols that they worshiped. Wherefore God also gave them up. Now, this is a key phrase in this passage. You'll see it a couple more times. Now, when it says God gave them up, it means he delivered them. Now, a lot of us, because a lot of us are shelter in place, we don't go to many stores, we're used to deliveries. Whether it's FedEx or UPS or USPS or whoever is delivering things, whether it's DoorDash and Uber Eats and whoever is dropping things off at your house, whether it's your food or packages, things you order. You know, some of us have, you know, order way too many things from Amazon, but that's another day to think about it. We're used to deliveries. But if you deliver something, there is a recipient. So it says, God gave them up or he delivered them. Well, who did he deliver them to? Did he deliver them to the devil? No, that's not what it said. By implication, as you studied out, who did he deliver them to? Themselves. He delivered them up. He gave them up to themselves. In other words, God said, fine, have it your way. And to me, that's one of the 
scariest outcomes possible. A harsh judgment. A accurate judgment. A righteous judgment. Or harvest, because harvest and judgment are the same thing. Fine, you've been sowing all these seeds of wanting to do it your way. Fine. You can have it your way. You know, we'll get into this in Hebrews 3 that the people in the wilderness who refused to believe God and did all these different things, which you read about in summary, and we'll get into more in this series. One of the things they kept saying was, what God we have died in Egypt, what God we've died in Egypt. God, why did you bring us out to die in this wilderness? They kept saying this again and again and again, and God said, fine, have it your way. You can die in the wilderness. Wherefore, God also gave them up to the uncleanness through the lust of their own hearts, notice the heart again, to dishonor their own bodies between themselves, who changed the truth of God into a lie. So they took the truth of God and changed it. They twisted it and worshiped and served the creature more than the creator, who was blessed forever. Amen. For this cause, God gave them up. So this is another process. Something I want you to see here, whether you see in Hebrews 3, 1 Corinthians 10, Jeremiah 17, Zechariah 7, 1 Corinthians 9, it's a process. This is not overnight. This is not one thing. This is a process. So he gave them up or delivered them or handed them over to uncleanness through the lust of their own hearts. So he handed them over to what was in their hearts. Next, for this cause, God gave them up unto vile affections. He delivered them to their own vile affections. He says, fine, have it your way. For even their women did change the natural use into that which is against nature. And likewise also the men, leaving the natural use of the woman, burning their lusts one toward another, men with men working that which is unseemly, and receiving in themselves that recompense of their error, which was me. And even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, they didn't even want to think about God. God gave them over, third time. We've gone from vile affections and uncleanness through the lust of their own hearts to now God delivered them or said you can have it your way to a reprobate mind a trash counterfeit worthless mind which means their mind they got their mind this way they partnered with the enemy and did the things they wanted to do so now their mind the mental faculties, how they process things, what they think about things, is now all reprobate, worthless, counterfeit. So that means they're going to keep on in that direction. To do those things which are not convenient or fitting. Being filled. So notice this process. It started as vain in their imaginations and a foolish heart being darkened and uncleanness through the lust of their own hearts. Now they are filled with all unrighteousness, fornication, wickedness, covetousness, maliciousness, full of envy, murder, debate, deceit, malignity, whisperers, backbiters, haters of God, despiteful, proud, boasters, inventors of evil things, disobedient to parents, without understanding, covenant breakers, without natural affection, implacable, unmerciful, who knowing the judgment of God, that they which commit such things are worthy of death, not only do the same, but have pleasure in them that do them. 
Another translation says it this way. It paints the picture of they give awards to those who do those things. They cheer on the people who do those things. Not only have they made the decision, but they encourage other people to do the same thing. Chapter 2. Therefore, you are inexcusable, O man, whosoever you are that judges, for wherein you judge another, you condemn yourself, for you judge do the same things. But we are sure that the judgment of God is according to the truth, according against them which commit such things. And thinkest thou this, O man, that judges them which do such things, and does the same, that you shall escape the judgment of God? Or do you despise the riches or the abundance of his goodness, and of his forbearance and longsuffering, not knowing that the goodness of God leads you to repentance? And there's so much more we'll get into. We'll get it in the future. Like I said, I'm laying the foundation today. But have you ever had the question of why? How can there be bad people, evil people who do evil things and bad things and all these things? How can they just not immediately get zapped? The zapping doesn't lead people to repentance. The goodness and the mercy of God does. Jesus says God calls it to rain on the just and the unjust. He sends rain on the just and sends rain on the unjust. He sends good things to both. It's the goodness of God that leads people to repentance. So there's someone watching right now, and you're thinking you're doing pretty good because whatever you're doing hasn't caught up with you. I'm letting you know that you're not fooling God. You may be fooling yourself and fooling others, but God knows. And the only reason it hasn't caught up with you is because the goodness of God leads people to repentance. It's God giving you a chance to turn. Go to Exodus chapter 4, because... There's a person in the Bible, we'll come back to Romans in a minute. There's a person in the Old Testament who paints the picture of a person's heart going through this process. Once again, a key word to this is process. If you're watching somewhere, you can type it in, type in process. If you're watching somewhere, you can't type it in to say it out loud, say process. We get to Exodus chapter 3 and chapter 4, we see God has called Moses and Aaron with a heavenly mission to set his people free, to tell Pharaoh, let my people go. And Moses has his excuses, tries to get out of it, can't talk God out of it. He agrees, goes forward. You get to chapter 5. Verse 1. And afterward, Moses and Aaron went in and told Pharaoh, Thus saith the Lord God of Israel, let my people go, that they may hold a feast unto me in the wilderness. And Pharaoh said, Who is the Lord that I should obey his voice to let Israel go? I know not the Lord, neither will I let Israel go. And they said, The God of the Hebrews has met with us. Let us go, we pray thee, three days journey into the desert, and sacrifice unto the Lord our God, lest he fall upon us with pestilence or with a sword. And the king of Egypt said unto them, Wherefore do ye, Moses and Aaron, let the people from their burdens, and get you unto your burdens? And Pharaoh said, Behold, the people of the land now are many, and you make them rest for their burdens. And Pharaoh commanded the same day their taskmasters of the people, and the officers saying, You shall no more, let's sum it up. He says, You're not going to provide straw for them to make brick. They're going to have to gather own straw to make their own brick and keep the same quota. And when they couldn't, the Egyptians beat the Hebrew leaders. And so the Hebrew leaders came to Moses and Aaron, Why did you even show up? You've made it worse for us. So notice what happened. God sent a message to Pharaoh 
And Pharaoh says, who is God that I should listen to him? You know what? You said your God wants me to let him go. I'm going to make it rougher on them. I'm going to make it harsher on them. I'm going to make it harder on them. Now you get to chapter 6 and chapter 7. You see more. That now the people don't even listen to Moses and Aaron because of, it says in verse 9 of chapter 6, anguish of spirit and cruel bondage. Let's go to chapter 7. And we're going to look at what happened when Moses goes back. Verse 1, And the Lord said unto Moses, See, I have made you a god to Pharaoh, and Aaron your brother shall be your prophet. You shall speak all that I command you, and Aaron your brother shall speak unto Pharaoh, that he send the children of Israel out of his hand. And I will harden Pharaoh's hearts, and multiply my signs and my wonders in the land of Egypt. But Pharaoh shall not hearken unto you, that I may lay my hand upon Egypt, and bring forth mine armies and my people, the children of Israel, out of the land of Egypt by great judgment. And the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord, when I stretch forth my hand upon Egypt, and bring out the children of Israel from among them. And Moses and Aaron did as the Lord commanded them, so did they. So here's a statement that people can take in so many different ways. When it says, I will harden Pharaoh's heart. What does that mean? As we saw, Pharaoh's heart was already hard. Moses and Aaron coming to Pharaoh is not the first time God dealt with Pharaoh about his treatment of the people of Israel. How do I know that? We've looked at Romans chapter 1 and Hebrews 3 and 1 Corinthians 9 and 10 and Jeremiah and Zechariah, and we saw how it's a process. Pharaoh's heart has gone through a process of becoming hard. That when the Spirit of God would deal with them about treating them right and letting them go, he refused. And it wasn't just things of the Spirit dealing with his heart. Remember when you read about this Pharaoh and his father in Exodus 1, there rises up a Pharaoh that knew not Joseph. Doesn't mean it's uh, that Pharaoh who worked with Joseph's great-grandchild, great-great-grandchild. That's not what it means. When he studied out and other scholars, they believed that another kingdom came in and took over that area. And so there was another king on the throne who didn't know about Joseph and didn't care to know. Now remember, Joseph was famous all over that empire and the world and that area. But he didn't care to know about Joseph, what Joseph did, or Joseph's God. He did not care to know about it. He rejected it. So he began a process of hardening his heart to a place it was hard. And God said to him, fine, have it your way. Now, Romans 9 gives you some more insight to this. Let's go there. Romans chapter 9. Remember, it's a process. It doesn't happen overnight. Romans chapter 9. Verse 17, for the scripture said unto Pharaoh, even for the same purpose have I raised you up, that I might show my power in you, that my name might be declared throughout all the earth. Therefore has he mercy on whom he will have mercy, and whom he will he hardeneth. Thou wilt say then unto me, why does he yet find fault? For who has resisted his will? No, or nay. So people say, see, we don't have a choice, there's no free will, and he says, no. But, O oh man, who are you that replies against God? 
Shall the thing formed to say unto him that formed it, Why have you made me thus? Has not the power, powder, power over the clay of the same lump to make one vessel unto honor and another unto dishonor? What if God? Now that what, remember, is italicized, so it's added by the translation. So it says, If God willing to show his wrath and to make his power known, endure with much long suffering. Do you know how long suffering God is? Very much so. The vessels of wrath fitted or prepared to destruction. So this word fitted means prepared. So who prepared these vessels for destruction? It wasn't God. They did it. Pharaoh prepared himself to become a vessel of wrath. Pharaoh prepared himself to become a vessel of wrath through the process of hardening his heart and resisting the voice of God and mistreating the people of God. And that he might make known the abundance of his glory on the vessels of mercy, that's me and you, which he had afore prepared unto glory. Even us whom he has called, not of the Jews only, but also of the Gentiles. And he said unto Hosea, I will call them my people, which were not my people, and her beloved, which was not beloved. So before we go into, we'll probably get into more in this series. What happened when Pharaoh refused? And God said, fine, have it your way, but you're going to let them go when I show you the power of my strong hand. And what happened? We said, why was he doing it this way? So that Egypt may know that I am the Lord. So although Pharaoh resisted, Pharaoh was leading a people, and those people needed to know about God. You study the Old Testament. Yes, God loves Israel, but you'll see God has made Egypt promises. Some have come to pass, and some are still going to come to pass in the future, and Egypt is one of the nations that even make it into the millennial kingdom. God loves Egypt. God loves the Egyptian people, and says, I'm going to deal with Pharaoh so that these people can know me. Pharaoh has hardened his heart. Pharaoh does not want to listen to me. Pharaoh does not want to treat my people right, so God says, I will deal with him. He can have it his way. If he wants a fight, he'll get a fight. He said, who is the Lord? Bruh, you're about to find out. He hardened his heart. And instead of being a vessel of mercy that God could use to be a blessing to people, he became a vessel who has poured out the wrath and the judgments of Egypt because he refused to do right by God's people. He went through this process and hardened his heart. And he was at this place where he made the decision and God said, fine, have it your way. You want to harden your heart to this point? Then let it be hard. The most dangerous and damning thing in the whole world is a hard heart. Now, how does this relate to me today, Pastor? You've gone through a lot of scriptures in the Old Testament. Somebody said, you've gone through books I don't even read. I didn't even know they were there. Go with me to 1 Timothy 4. I'm going to bring it home as we close. 1 Timothy chapter 4. How does this relate to you? Because Paul already said that these people are our examples who live at the end of the age. The end, we live at the end of this age, not technically the end of the world, but the end of this age. First Timothy chapter 4, verse 1, and we covered these verses in a little bit more detail in our previous series. First Timothy chapter 4, verse 1. Now the Spirit speaks expressly that in the latter times 
some shall depart from the faith. Talking about the last times, the last days, which we're living in. The end of the last days, which we're living in. Giving heed to seducing spirits. We talked about that last series. And doctrines or teaching of devils. Notice what they do. Speaking lies and hypocrisy. Having their conscience seared with a heart, a hot iron. So notice what happened to the heart, their conscience. It was seared. Now, you know what this word seared means? It's cauterized. It's like you take a hot iron and you brand something. You know, if you ever left your iron on an ironing board too long or on a shirt, it left an imprint on it. But even so, we still see people in medical practice today that there's different wounds that because of whatever happened, they burn it so it stops the bleeding. And so, it says these people, through listening to seducing spirits and the teaching of devils and speaking lies and hypocrisy, have seared their heart. They've burned their heart. They've hardened their heart. And the thing is, we'll get into this a tad bit today, but more in this series. When I was researching the cauterization of, of wounds, you know what popped up as I Googled? How to heal a cauterized wound. Oh, we can get into that. Because if you can heal a cauterized wound, there might be people listening today that your conscience and your heart has been cauterized, it's been seared, it's been branded with a heart iron. There's an imprint on it. But there's a way to get out of it. But God is faithful. God is faithful. There's a way of escape for you today. But you must choose it. Go to 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. How does this apply to me today? We see that verse applies to us today. But 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 talks about us in the future. Now, we looked at the first part of this passage in the previous series, Church in the Wild. Remember, not that when I was with you, I told you these things. And now you know that what withholdeth, that he might be revealed in his time. Now, who is what's withholding? The church. The church is withholding. Who is the church withholding? For the mischief iniquity does already work. Only he who now letteth or withholds will keep withholding until he be taken out of the way. So the church will keep withholding and resisting is another way to say it until it is taken out of the way through the rapture. And then shall that wicked be revealed whom the Lord shall consume with the spirit of his mouth and shall destroy with the brightness of his coming. Even him. Who is this man? He's called the lawless man. In other translations, he's called the anarchist. In other translations, he's called the Antichrist. So the church is holding back the spirits of Antichrist to the point that the Antichrist cannot even present himself. You say, oh, I know who the Antichrist is. No, you don't. The Antichrist cannot even present himself until the church be taken away. But spirits of Antichrist can use other individuals to carry out the Antichrist agenda. Even him whose coming is after the working of Satan with all power and signs and lying wonders. Remember who we said all the attacks and strategies of Satan are covered and filled with deception and accusations and lies. And with all deceivableness, deceivableness of unrighteousness and them that perish. So as we talked about Satan, who's called the deceiver in the book of Revelation, he's called a liar by Jesus in the gospel of John. He operates through deception 
And we talked about in the last series how he steals. And I encourage you, if you missed this, go back. Hey, you still have time. Binge watch Church in the Wild. Binge watch Faith in the Fire. And you'll understand some of the things we're saying. That Satan is looking for a way to deceive you because Jesus calls him the thief, which is translated the pickpocket. And so the pickpocket steals through the art of distraction and deception. So if he has you distracted, he'll steal from you. If he has you offended, he'll steal from you. If he has you deceived, he'll steal from you. And so the thing is, through familiar spirits, which we covered in the last series, what are things about familiar spirits they've paid attention to you and your family line? They saw what worked on your parents, your grandparents, your great-grandparents, your great-great-grandparents, the people down your ancestry, and they think, well, maybe it'll work on you. And so they'll bring different temptations, attacks, pressure, affliction, persecution, cares of this world, deceitfulness of riches, lust of other things, to you to see which one will you give in to, which one will make you quit, which one will you believe. Life is a test. And one of the things the enemy will throw at you are different things. So if he sends it at you one way and you don't receive it, it doesn't mean he won't send the same thing. He'll send it differently. He'll send it to you through another way. If he can't get you to take a thought, maybe if he wrapped it up in the color that looks like you, you'll take it. Maybe if he sends someone the same gender, you'll take it. Maybe if he sends someone the opposite gender, he'll, you'll take it. Maybe if he sends it to someone who doesn't have the same skin color as you, you'll take it. Maybe if he sends it to someone wearing a red hat, you'll take it. Maybe if he sends someone in your political party, you'll take it. He'll look for all these different ways to get you to take the deception. And sadly, the church takes it hook, line, and sinker because it matches with their political party. It matches with their skin color. It matches with their gender. It matches with their social background. It matches with their nationality. And they grab Grab onto the deception and don't realize they've been tricked. He just dressed up the lie in a different outfit. So you need to make sure that you hold on to the truth and you don't grab onto a well-dressed lie. Because one of the hallmarks of the end times is deception. Because they receive not the love of the truth that that might be saved. You have to understand about these people. These are the people who will receive the mark of the beast. And no, masks are not the mark of the beast. Please stop with that foolishness. It's not the time for the mark. But there are people who will receive the mark. And you can't receive the mark by accident. People who will receive the mark are declaring their allegiance to the Antichrist, the anarchist, the lawless one. The person is described here in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. They're declaring their allegiance. And you have to understand, it's not like they didn't know better. These are people who've gone through the Romans 1 process. To even when they get to the last week of the tribulation, the last week is the worst week. And when they get to the last week, they still won't turn. They still won't repent. They still won't change their mind. What do they do? They harden their heart. And they hardened in such a way they went through the process that God gave them over to the uncleanness through the lust of their hearts, to their vile affections, to their reprobate mind. He says, fine, have it your way. And what is that judgment upon them? We saw the ju that judgment fall on Pharaoh. What is the judgment on the group of people who refuse? 
the group of people that refuse the great awakenings that are happening right now will keep happening until the return of Jesus. The group of people who refuse the 144,000 Jewish evangelists in the tribulation, the great, the great witness that is given by the two great witnesses, the great angels in the sky, the great moves of the Holy Ghost who resist the word of God, who resist the preaching and teaching of apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers for millennia. What is their judgment? But hardening their heart. Another word for judgment, for some of you think judgment just one way, what is their harvest? Because all these things they've been doing for years and decades are seeds, 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 seeds. What you sow, you will reap. Remember what Galatians 6 says, God is not mocked. Whatever a man sows, that shall he reap. What do they reap? The Antichrist. What do they reap? A strong delusion, says in verse 11. For, and for this cause, God shall send them strong delusion, that they should believe a lie, that they all might be damned who believe not the truth, but had pleasure in unrighteousness. So what happened? They hardened their heart to a point where God said, fine, have it your way. You like the deception so much? He delivers them to themselves. That's what the strong delusion is. That's what the hearty in the heart is. Fine, have it your way. That's one of the reasons I'll say the most dangerous and damning thing in the whole world is a hardened heart. The heart unchecked, unwashed over, doing these things we've talked about in this message puts you in a very dangerous position. Because I'm sure if you ask any of these people, they would say they were doing right. And see, that's the thing about wickedness. You're doing the wrong thing, but you believe it's right. That's what deception is. You're doing the wrong thing, and you believe it's right. Wickedness is truth twisted. So there's some truth and some rightness in what you're doing, but it's twisted. So some of you are watching, your heart's not hard. There's other conditions your heart could be in, and some of your hearts are in that condition. But your heart is not as extreme as these group of people at the very end. It's not extreme as Pharaoh. It's not extreme as some of the Romans chapter 1. But if you are honest with yourself, you know your heart is not the way it's supposed to be. Please say, Pastor, is it too late for me? No, it's a process. And I said before, all you have to do is choose to turn. Go to 1 Samuel chapter 10, verse 9. And I'll bring this to a close. And this is what's going to happen all throughout this series, which is why I sent out that text to the congregation to take time and pray over this message and over this series. 1 Samuel, this is what I'm believing God to do and all those who hear this message and hear this series. 1 Samuel chapter 10, verse 9. So Samuel the prophet meets Saul, the future king of Israel. He anoints him. He ministers unto him. He prophesies over his life. And he talks about God being with him. And when you go to do these things, you'll be turned into a new man. Verse 9, 
And it was so that when he had turned his back to go from Samuel, God gave him another heart. And all those things came to pass that day. And when they came there to the hill, behold, a company of prophets met him, and the Spirit of God came upon him, and he prophesied among them. What happened? God gave him another heart. You might say the condition of your heart is messed up because of choices you made, things you went through, decisions you made, things that you've encountered. Some of you, your heart is hardened and has all these different things through church because of church hurt. Because sometimes well-meaning people, sometimes ill-meaning people who were in the church, whether in leadership or in the pews, did something to you that wasn't Christ-like. And now you're turned off from the church or being a, a part of a church. Some of you, because things who are suppo- people who are supposed to protect you didn't. Or other attacks of the enemy or a list of things could have happened. Or you may have done some of the things we talked about in this message. And your heart, you said, Pastor, if I'm honest, my heart is jacked up. I don't know what to do. I have some good news for you. God can give you another heart. Notice Saul's heart became new when he turned to do what God said. And I believe as you turn today, God will heal your heart, give you a new heart, or a word we've been focusing all year. He will restore your heart. He will restore your soul. He will bring restoration to you. All you have to do is turn. All you have to do is change your direction. Another word for that is repent, which simply means change your mind and change your direction. Let's go to Lamentations chapter 3, verse 22 and 23. And after that, one more scripture. Lamentations chapter 3, verse 22. Now, the thing is, we read Lamentations, think it's a book of the Bible. It's a book of mourning. It's a lamentation. It's a mourning because of what had happened. What had happened? You have the book of Jeremiah. God warning through the prophet and through other prophets. Here's what's going to happen if you don't turn. Here's the harvest and judgment that awaits you if you do not turn. They refuse to listen, and the judgment fell. And we'll talk about more about that later. But in the midst of the ashes of their harvest, in the midst of the destruction that came because of Babylon, because Judah opened the door, in the midst of all these things, the prophet As he's lamenting, he says in verse 22, it is of the Lord's mercies that we are not consumed. Because of his compassions, fail not. So all these things happened to them, and it was their fault, and they should have been taken out. And then the prophet realizes as he's lamenting, it is because of the Lord's mercies that we're not consumed. We're still here because he's merciful. Some of you have done a whole bunch of stuff. And you're wondering, how did you make it? He's merciful. What about his compassion and his mercies? Verse 23. They are new every morning. Great is thy faithfulness. We already said it before earlier. God is faithful. And we say it another way here. Great is his faithfulness. When we've been faithless, he is still faithful. When we've been going down the process that was going to bring things in our life, he was still there every single step away for us to turn 
and come back. He's like the father of the prodigal son, always there waiting for us to turn, always going with us, waiting for us to turn. Although we make our bed in hell, he is there. Although we make our bed on the mountaintop, he is there. Although we're in all these different situations, by our own choosing, by our own decision-making, by our own mistakes, by our own shortcomings, God has not turned his back on you. You might say, I'm advanced in this process, but you're listening right now. Do you know what that lets you know? It's not too late. You see, Pharaoh didn't want it, but you do. The fact that you're thinking that maybe if I turn, God can do something with my life, that shows you it's possible. You see, the thought would not even occur to you if you couldn't. See, someone had asked me this question one time online, and I'll address it now. They said, oh, pastor, what if I've committed the unpardonable sin? Look, you cannot have committed the unpardonable sin because if you're wondering if you did, you didn't do it. Because if you did it, you wouldn't care that you did it. You wouldn't be interested in God or anything having to do with God. So some of you who are afraid of committing the unpardonable sin or that you've done it, you have not done it. Satan uses that and twists it to torment people. So if you're listening to me, wherever you are, whether it's live, whether it's a replay, maybe it's the years to come, you're listening to this message. If you're listening, you have this opportunity to be like what Saul did, turn and go the other direction. But it's up to you to take it. You have to understand, his mercies are new every morning. Great is his faithfulness towards you. Go to Psalm 86, verse 13. Psalm 86, verse 13. Notice what it says here. For great is your mercy toward me, and you have delivered my soul from the lowest hell. For great is your mercy toward me, and you have delivered my soul from the lowest hell. You may be in a low position today, and it may could be a situation that you created, but his mercy is still great, his faithfulness is still great. There's still a way of escape. All you have to do is turn. He said, well, pastor, I need all these steps. I need plan A through Z. I need steps one to a million. No, your job today is turn. Change your mind. Says, I, that's not right. I'm not doing that anymore. Change your direction and begin that path of I'm doing what God said. If God said it, that settles it. That's how I'm living. You have to make that decision. Thanks for watching today. We hope today's message was a blessing to you that it empowered you to make Jesus famous in every area of your life. Hey, if you want to be a part of what God's doing here at Faith, you know, our vision statement is to ignite an awakening that impacts Georgia and influence the world through the power of the love of Jesus. 
and we'd love for you to be a part. You can find out our different experience times and our different locations by going to FCCGA.com. If you want to give, you can text FCCGA to 73256. You can also go to FCCGA.com to give online and be a part of what God's doing here. We'd love to see you anytime you're in our area. We believe God has something good just for you. And anytime you come to our faith experience, we believe you will experience God and his plan for your life. So thank you for tuning in today. We'll see you next time.